I can think of one particular moment where I really felt I was supposed to uh, say something in a church service. And the Holy Spirit was leading me to. I wasn't preaching or anything like that, but I just felt like God had a word for people. And I didn't do it. Um, instead of doing it, I was like, well, I think now's a good time to go to the bathroom and hide. So I was kind of like Jonah a little bit. Now, luckily, there was no uh, fish in the bathroom that swallowed me up. But I, I realized, like, after I left, because it was fear that, that caused me to do that. After I left, I realized what I had done. And, like, it was holy tears, because I, I realized I had done something that was in disobedience to God. Now, I, I sin. I, I do those things. But I knew in that moment that what I had done had also cost other people. Because what I was supposed to do is share something, not for myself, but for others. And because of my own fear, it blocked me and it stopped me from maybe providing a blessing for others that were in the church service. So sometimes God asks us to do things, very often he asks us to do things, that make us feel very uncomfortable. You ever been there? That for different reasons, you're like, nah, you got the wrong guy for that. We've been reading through the, the Bible in a year, a, a number of us in the church, and I, I was struck by something this week that Moses, like I've heard it before, but it never really clicked, that Moses uh, tried to get out of the job that God had for him. When, when Moses was asked to do it, he, he said, hey, I, I'm not good at speaking. I stutter, and my words get mixed up, and this is like, you're, I'm the last person that you want talking to Pharaoh. I, I can't be your spokesperson, God, because my mouth is, is tied up. My tongue is messed up. And uh, God's response was, this is great. God's response was, who made your mouth? <laughs> who made your tongue? And the, the whole emphasis there is that if God wants something to be done, if he's calling you to do something, then he's going to provide you the necessary resources, the skills and maybe even unlock your tongue, right? So if you're asked to do something by God, you can be assured that God isn't just going to put you out there by yourself, but that he's coming with you, right? He's going to be there beside you, and he's going to give you what you need. Now, Moses still put up a fuss, and eventually uh, he, he, God said, fine, fine. Well, I'll work with you a little bit. Let's, let's do this. Your brother will be the spokesperson, but you're going to be the leader. And, and so that's what God did, and God blessed a lot of people through that. But I often wonder, if Moses had just agreed with God, maybe God would have healed his whole tongue issue. Maybe God would have set him free from, from that fear. And, and maybe things would have gone even a little bit better for other people, too. So when we run from God, it's not just us that's missing out, but who? Everyone around us. And... We're all connected. We're all connected, especially within the body of Christ. When we become believers in Jesus, we become part of the church as a whole. And then when we're part of the church as a whole, we're called to use our spiritual gifts to work together. And if any of us don't show up and do what we're supposed to do, if we're not really accomplishing the ministry that we have, maybe because of sin or maybe because of disobedience or maybe because we're running from God, everybody suffers. Everyone suffers, not just you. Now, you're the one that probably feels it the most. The rest of us don't even know what we're missing at that point. But God wants to work through all of us. 
God wants to use all of you. And I know this to be true because you're here. Not just here, you're breathing. How many of you are breathing today? Okay. Those who didn't raise their hands, just prepare for mouth-to-mouth for the person next to you. Don't do that. This would be the weirdest church service ever. No, we're all, if we have breath, then God has purpose for us. If we're still alive, then God has a reason for that. Otherwise, he'd take us home because our work here is done and, you know, we have work ahead of us there. But no, no, we're all here. And, and then the other thing I think about is we're all here, like right here in this church service. And we're all here for a reason because I think God wants to speak to you. And we talk about that. God wants to speak to and then work through, right? So it's not this blessing, you know, coming to church isn't just about me. It's not just about, oh, I like the music today, or, oh, I like the message today, or, or God spoke to me. No, one of the reasons we come together is so that we can go out on mission together as well and reach the community and reach people that are not in here. It's so easy to get comfortable in here and only focus on what's happening here on Sunday and not realize that there's, there's a world in peril outside of these four walls, and they need Jesus. Amen? They need Jesus. The, the answer to our problems isn't coming through some person other than the personhood and God of Jesus Christ. That's where the world is going to get better. Jesus said, I came for those who are sick. The world is sick. We are sick without Jesus. So Jonah... Jonah is a really interesting book. He's an interesting character. So I just want to go back and just relate a little bit of the information. Uh, Who, what, when, where, why do we have this book called Jonah? Well, he is a prophet of God. We see that very early on in scriptures. Who was it written to? We got a slide here, Aiden, if you can pop that up for me. Who was this written to? It was written to Israel and God's people everywhere. Everyone say, it's for me. It's for me. This is for you. Jonah, the book of Jonah is for you. And as we go through it, you're going to see it's a little bit about you. Okay? It's uh, what type of literature is it? It's ironic satire. When you're reading through it, you see everything is kind of inflated. Everything's big. It's trying to point out the absurdity of what's actually happening in the story. I believe it to be a true story, but it's showing the absurd moment. How many of you have had absurd moments in your real life? Like moments where God kind of smacks you upside the head and see, this is what I'm talking about. I'm trying to show you something. And all throughout this, God is trying to get the attention of Jonah. So it's ironic satire. If you can think of it in, in some type of way, like modern way, think of it almost as like the Bible version of SNL. Like you see, everything is flipped. Everything is different. Like the man of God is Jonah, but you see Jonah continually doing the wrong thing. And then the people that aren't of God, like not the people of God, the the people of the world, the people that are pagans, the people that are worshiping other idols, those are the people that turn to God quicker than even the man of God does. So everybody's role is kind of flipped. It's all reversed, and it's it's just a, it's almost like walking through uh, funhouse mirrors. You start looking at it like, wait, what's going on here? This doesn't make sense. And it grabs your attention, but it also shows you a lot of the times what's happening in our world now. So the purpose is to what? To show that the message of salvation is for everyone. The message is for everyone, right? Jesus is for everyone. 
Now, will everyone respond in the correct manner? No. But we don't get to limit who this is for. It is for all. And, and this, this main point is no one is, is beyond redemption. No one. If they have air in their lungs, they may come to Christ. And a lot of times, we are making decisions in our mind. We're passing, you know, I, I know as Christians, we're not supposed to be judgmental. But how many of you know that sometimes Christians are judgmental? We, we have these ideas in our mind, and, and sometimes it's because we're following God and we want to be holy, and so we're following God, and we're looking over there, and we're seeing somebody who isn't at all, and we think that they're very far from God, and they might be, but the other thing we don't know is what seeds are already in their heart, who's been watering those things, is the Holy Spirit drawing them into salvation, are they making steps towards the cross and towards repentance, how close are they? We... We don't know. This is why we're not to judge, right? We're not to do that. If God is calling me to speak to somebody, or he's calling you to, to talk to somebody about Jesus, and you're like, no way are they ever coming to Christ. I know, I know the way they lived, and they do this, 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 and this, and it's all anti-biblical, and it's, it's not what Jesus wants them to do. They're not ready yet. Who are you to know that? Who knows? The Holy Spirit and God. Your call is to be faithful to whatever God is calling you to do, not to run away. So we don't get to determine who is going to come to Christ. The Holy Spirit draws them in, and luckily, he wants to involve us. Luckily, he says, hey, come along with me, be a part of this work. And so that's what we're called to do as believers. And this is what the book of Jonah is all about. So Jonah is called to go minister to the Ninevites. He's called to go proclaim uh, judgment, like, hey, you know, bad things are coming if you don't repent. And so he's supposed to go to Nineveh and say that. Now, Nineveh, uh, from where Jonah is, is at least 500 miles away, probably 550 to 600 miles away from where he is. So it's a bit of a travel. Uh, if you want to think about it in the United States, like we're right here in the center of Indiana right now, right? Are you guys with me, like physically with me? Some of you are like somewhere else already, right? No, we're right here. Right? We're in the center of Indiana almost. And if we're going to go about the same distance, I was trying to figure this out. Like, what's the closest city? It's Washington, D.C. Is it about the right space? Now, I haven't ever been there. How many of you have been to Washington, D.C.? I need to go. Uh, but he's called to go that. And remember, they don't have cars. They don't have a bus system. He's probably going to have to walk. And so Jonah doesn't want to do it because he's worried that these horrible people, the Ninevites, who have persecuted his people, killed his people, uh, filleted their skin. We, we talked about you know, all the torture stuff. I've never talked about so much torture in my life in a sermon as we did last week. So if you're really into torture, go, go watch the last week's. <laughs> uh, but we, we see that Jonah is called to that, and what does he do? He immediately turns and, and wants to go in the opposite, the very opposite direction because he's worried not for his own life. He's not concerned about that, because sometimes that's where I am. I'm, like, I'm concerned about how people are going to view me. How are they going to see me? How are they going to take it? Are they going to make fun of me? Are they going to laugh at me? That, that's usually my concern. His concern is completely different. His concern is he's worried that God is going to save them. He's worried that they're going to repent, and then they're going to be fine. And he doesn't want that. He thinks they should pay for their problems now. So he, he does, you're going to see this, he, he does something that he shouldn't do, and he just gets up and he jumps in the opposite direction. So open up your Bibles, if you would, 
to Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to just go verse by verse. I think we're going to get through the whole chapter here, unless I'm too long-winded, which I might be. But we're going to try to get through as much as we can here together. It's going to be on the screen, but I really want you to have the Bible open if you can. If you have a pen, you can jot down a few things, because I believe that God wants to speak to you today. So, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Mittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And we talked about this last week, how, how God is long-suffering, so that means he has mercy in that. Judgment doesn't come immediately. Sometimes that's the question we have. Well, why? If, the, if God is good, then why do we have suffering in the world? Because God is long-suffering. He's patient. And so he's willing to put up with a lot in case some of them may come to him. And, and so he goes through this. Interestingly enough, uh, a little bit of background information, the, the very word Jonah means dove. So in Hebrew, that's what it means. It means dove, which you kind of get the idea of peace, right? Peace, but also it, it's, it's a symbol of the peace of people of Israel. So Hebrews would know this, uh, that dove isn't just meaning peace, but it means the people of Israel. So if you want to view that, like who is this book for? It's for us and it's for all of the people. It was for the people then too, the Israelites, the Hebrews. It was for them, and when they would read Jonah, they would know that Jonah means the people of Israel. So they can kind of put themselves in that position. It's also kind of ironic if you think about it, because Jonah does not act like a dove at all here, does he? He doesn't act like a peace bringer at all. He kind of wants to bring destruction. So... um, Here's, here's what God says. Announce my judgment against it because I see how wicked his people were. But verse 3 says, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa. Now, that's a suburb of Tel Aviv now, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And that's possibly a, a port in Spain. Like We don't know exactly where that is, but we know that it is the complete opposite direction of where God told Jonah to go. Like If Jonah was going to pick the furthest place he could, that's what he did. He said, I, I want to go as far away as I can, and, and so he tries to head out in a different direction, where he, he found a ship, and he bought a ticket, so at least he's doing that, right? He buys a ticket and, and goes on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. And at this point, you're like, what are you doing, Jonah? Do you think Jonah really thinks he can run from God? Why is he doing this? You realize by doing this, like he's, he's abdicating, he's leaving the position that God has given him. He has a great position. He's, he's a prophet when it's good to be a prophet. He, he's a, a person that's respected in his community. But his fear of the salvation of the Ninevites, he's so worried that they're going to come to God and be forgiven, And he's so concerned about his own nation, his people, the people of Israel. He loves them so much, the last thing he wants to do is see that the people that are against his people are blessed. You see? He's such a patriot, he's such a national, that the last thing he wants is the enemy to be saved. And so he's like, I I don't care what it takes, I'm leaving. I will leave my life, I, I will give up my rank, I will I will leave my homeland because I love my homeland so much. I'm going to leave. I'm going to try to run away from God. I'm going to try to leave what God's calling me to do because I don't want to see this happen. So he, he jumps in a boat and he leaves. He wants to escape God, so he heads out to sea. He goes to the furthest place he can think of. 
He's willing to risk his life to leave his calling. How many of you know you can't outrun God? <laughs> Think about this. Like, he, he, made, he made everything. Jonah knows he made everything. And he's trying to run away from God in his very own creation. So he's leaving. Uh, verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. And fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. I have never been stuck in the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of a storm. Any of you? No. I can't imagine how bad it was. I want to share a story, like the closest thing I've ever gotten, and it's really, really ridiculous. Uh, I grew up in northern Indiana, and one time I came back to visit my, my folks. I think Emily was with me, and I think we may have had one or two kids at this point. And uh, my, my dad had a habit of collecting boats that were in rough shape, and then we would try to use these boats. <laughs> it's kind of, a, I don't know. But we had a, uh, a little sailboat, um, and we were at this lake called Pike Lake. If you can show that picture, Adam. Uh, Pike Lake. And, and Pike Lake is, is got a nice little beach. Uh, it has a campground area. It has these, uh, this boat launch. And I've launched several boats from there. It's not a very big lake. When you're looking at Warsaw and the surrounding area, it's kind of a small lake. But it's, it's nice for some things. Uh, sometimes you have to kind of fight off all the ducks. There's plenty of ducks there, so if you, if you ever want to see ducks, you can go there. Uh, but I, I was in this little sailboat called a uh, sunfish. Sh show the next slide there, Aiden. And uh, this is not me. I do not do it that well. And you, think, you may be thinking, this guy's not doing very well, but he, he's actually doing very well. Like he's kind of cutting, and, and you can kind of flip it up. It's a very small boat with a very small sail. And, and we had a very old one. And I have no clue of how to sail. All right? I... I cannot sail well at all. And uh, I have an idea of what I'm supposed to do, but I do it all wrong, all wrong. So if you ever want to just like see me flounder, put me on one of these <laughs> and watch me not do well. Uh, so I'm on that, and uh, everything looks great, except for I'm not doing well. I'm kind of like stuck in the middle, which isn't very big. But when you're out there on this little thing and you don't know what you're doing, and you're, you're just sitting there wishing you had a motor. <laughs> Like, oh, if I had a paddle or something, I can canoe. I know how to do that, but I can't do this well. Uh, all of a sudden, there was a summer storm that popped up, okay, with lightning and thunder. And I'm telling you, if I wasn't already wet from the water, there'd be problems. <laughs> I was scared, and I was stuck out there, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And the wind's kind of just moving, blowing around, and I, you know, I... I I think eventually I, I had to like just run it into the shore on the other side, and I was in somebody's yard, and they had to come out and help me. But when I was in the middle of it, I was scared. And I was just like, I was praying. If there was cargo to throw overboard, I would be throwing it over. But I was the only one there. And I started thinking about, after it was all done, and I was on land and didn't get struck by lightning and didn't drown, uh, and, and realize that the waves are only like this, but I am still like freaking out out there. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I realized, man, when those disciples were out there in the middle of the water, they must have been frightened because it was dark. I can't imagine doing this when it was really dark. 
And then uh, this week when I was preparing for this, this story popped into my mind. Because in the Mediterranean, usually it's, it's pretty calm. Usually it's pretty predictable. But they have these cyclones that, that come through occasionally, randomly. And uh, they, they call them, I, I want to get this right, it's called a, a medicine. It's like a Mediterranean hurricane. But they're very tightly wound. And you'll see that they spin if you ever look at a map of them. And they just pound stuff. And, and you're talking about like feeling like you're in the middle of the ocean and the waves are coming at you from all angles, Okay. So that's the situation that Jonah is in on this sea right now. I want to show you a little video of something that happened in a port when a medicaine hit. If you can... You see, you see, this is inside of a port in a safe harbor. So over here you have a break, and yet this is what's happening to the ships. And if you look carefully, and you listen, you can hear like people screaming in terror. Because there's a couple people over here, over on those boats. Now, I think they, they made it out all right. But do you see the destruction happening there? This is way worse than Pike Lake for me. So this is, this is a real problem that they're going through right now when, when Jonah's there on the ship. It's probably way worse than that because they're in the middle of it. This is just what's hitting the shore. Okay. So put yourself there in your mind that you're on this ship. You're, there's no land in sight. You're, you're in the middle, and this storm hits you. Would you be praying to God? Would you be calling out to God? That's exactly what the people did there, too. But you have to realize these aren't, these aren't actually children of the Most High God. These are not children uh, of, of God the Father the way we think of God the Father. These are are pagans who believe in a multitude of gods. They're not atheistic. No, no. In fact, they, they're polytheistic, meaning that they believe in several hundreds, maybe thousands of gods. And they're, they're following different gods based upon their region, based upon their profession, based upon what they do. So they're in that, in, in, in the middle of this, but at that time, Scripture says, let's go back to the Bible, at that time, where's Jonah to be found? Dude is asleep. He is sound asleep. He is sound asleep. He is asleep in the middle of it. And, and I thought about it. as like, you know, what is this? I think Kim maybe sent me the title for this because she saw it in a thing. This is, this is a nap of rebellion <laughs> that's happening here. Have you ever disciplined your kid and they got so upset they fell asleep? Like... You don't even have to be that hard. You put them in timeout, and then they're crying and screaming, and then they fall asleep. I think that's what was going on with Jonah. Jonah was so upset by everything. He was running away so hard. He's like, I'm just tired from running from God. I'm going to go down and sleep in the bottom of the boat. And so while everyone's up there thinking they're going to die, and they're shouting out to their gods for help and throwing everything overboard that they can other than people to lighten the ship, all this time, Jonah's down asleep in the hall. He's just... How mad would you be <laughs> if, if you as the captain go down and you see Jonah just sleeping through the whole thing? We're going to die! What are you doing napping? And, and so this is, this is where it, it gets really interesting here. As it, this whole storm is happening. They're terrified for their lives, and he is asleep. So the captain goes down and says, Hey, how can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, Get up and pray to your God. 
Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Everyone else is praying, and you're not praying at all. You're not calling on your God. So he's, he's down there. And then verse 7 says this. Then the crew cast lots. So they, they do this thing where, where uh, it could be with straw, it could be with something else. They're trying to figure out who is the one that offended the gods in order to cause this terrible storm. So when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. You think God had a hand in that? Yeah. So who's, who's guilty here is Jonah. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. They're probably yelling at him, why? You know, imagine, this is in the middle of a storm. It's not like the storm calmed down so the story could happen. No, in the middle of the storm, all the waves are crashing. Why? What have you done? What have you done? We're all going to die. And this is going on. Why has this happened? Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? They don't know anything about them. So basically they're saying, tell us everything about you. Jonah answered, what? I am a Hebrew. And this, this verse here. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who what? Who made the sea and the land. Now I understand Jonah's not thinking rationally when he buys the ticket. I would be much rather meet my fate on land than on sea. Amen? <laughs> Think about this. He's, he's putting his hands, he, he's just like going against God, putting the, his very life at risk, and he chooses the sea instead of going across land. I'd be going across land. Yeah, I'd much rather get eaten by a camel or something. I don't know what could happen. But here he's, he's out in the, in the sea. He says, but, but realize the absurdity of this as well. Like he knows who he is. He knows who he's supposed to be. But who does he actually say he is? It's not really who he is. He says, I worship the Lord, the God who made the, the land and the sea. But the honest truth is, in this moment, he is not worshiping God at all, is he? He's doing the opposite of worshiping God. He's disobeying God. So he kind of puts his title back on in the middle of this. He says, here's who I am. But the truth of the matter is, he's really running away from God more than any of those people on that ship. So let's, let's think about that. The God of heaven, who made the sea and the land, the creator. So Jonah rose away on the sea. What do you think the other crew members and the other people on that ship are thinking about Jonah right now? How many of you would be like really kind of angry with Jonah? <laughs> You're the reason we're in this mess. You are the reason. Have you ever been in a situation where it wasn't your fault, but you were paying the consequences? This is the worst type of situation like that. They're all going to die, and they know it. And, and, and so they're very upset, and, and they're realizing what's going on. They're like, if you knew, and if you say you worship this God, then why are you running away from him? Why are you doing the very opposite? Why did you put all of our lives at risk? Realize that when you move away from God and when you run from God in disobedience, it's not just you that suffers. It's your family. It's your friends. It's your husband. It's your wife. It's your kids. It's your grandkids. It's everybody around you that suffers when you're in sin. Right? And you may be like, well, they don't know what I'm doing. They don't even know I'm running from God. doesn't matter. Your attitude changes. The spirit around you changes. Your availability to the Holy Spirit to listen to him changes. You're not going to be hearing from God if you're running from him. You with me? If you are running from God, you're not open to hearing from him. You've already shut down that channel. 
You're not listening to him anymore. You're in a nap of rebellion. Everyone talks about getting woke. This is real woke. You with me? This is real. This is truth. God is speaking to you. God speaks to you through his word. If you're not following him in this way, then you are asleep at the wheel. You are in a nap of rebellion, and you have to wake up. So Jonah wakes up to a reality here. He wakes up to a severe situation. So verse 10 says, The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? You know what struck me that I didn't see before when I was reading through this? Is Jonah is woken up and he's brought to the top here. And and he's out there in the elements with everybody else. And they're going through this together now. And he knows what's happening. He knows it's his fault. He knows that even the lot say it's his fault, right? Like God worked it out so everyone knows it's Jonah's fault. Jonah tells them it's his fault. Where does Jonah apologize in this? He doesn't. Now, I know no one else out there is like me. There are no other men or women that when they're in the wrong, just keep trying to go through the wrong farther. But Jonah is is like that dude there. He's like me. And he is sitting there. And he is saying, it's my fault. I'm the one that did wrong. But does he pray? You don't see that. Does he call out to God? You don't see that. Not right here, you don't. Instead, the storm just pummels him, and this is his response. Well, we're all going to die anyways. Throw me into the sea. And at first glance, you can say, oh, Jonah is like kind of coming to terms with everything. He's really, he's getting it together. But then you realize he didn't pray. He didn't say, God, stop this and I'll obey you. No, he said, fine, I'll just die. Have you ever been in a situation where like, I'd rather just die than go through this? That's where Jonah is. He's angry. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it'll become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. He's accepting responsibility, but he's not trying to fix it other than he thinks that this will fix it. And so what do the sailors do? Well, man, if I was there, I'd be like, let's do what he said. Let's just throw him right now. But these people are nicer than me. These people are way nicer. Instead, the sailors row even harder. So they're, they're like trying to pull this boat through. Like, maybe we can get to land. You know, let's not throw him over. If you throw him over, he's dead. And they keep trying. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. So verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, the real Lord, Jonah's God. And they said, oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his what? His death, like it's not us. We don't want to murder him. This isn't murder. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him. I love that. You notice it's, they realize it's not about them in this moment. It is about Jonah. You have sent this storm upon him. So here you have Jonah, who's running from God, who's putting everybody else at risk. And they try to save him, but now they're, they're saying, oh, I guess it's over. So they pick, verse 15, the sailors pick Jonah up. Woof! <sighs> Splashes into the water, and all of a sudden, glassy sea. 
calm comes over the whole thing. I kind of wonder if when they threw him in, if it became so calm so fast they could see him sinking. You with me? Like It went from... to What would you think if you were there and saw that? This is where I'd be. I would be further than that. I'd be, you know, in Scripture it says, you know, they laid prostrate down and be like this. It'd be like, I'd be doing this, and that's what they did. They have a realization who who God is, and and they they just stop praying to the other guys. They're like, whoa, it was Jonah's fault, and the Lord of Jonah, the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. That is the true God. So you realize that in Jonah's rebellion, you have salvation for the ship. They all find out who God is. Sometimes I think we're, we think that, like, you know, if we don't do it, then nobody else is going to do it. And if we don't do it, then, then everybody else, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't going to do it. And we've got to do this. Otherwise, they won't be drawn to Him. And I think. We're missing the point because God doesn't need me. In fact, he can use my very rebellion to bring people to Christ. But I'm going to hurt others and I'm going to hurt myself if I do that. I don't want to drown. Amen? So here's the deal. Like God chooses to use us, but he doesn't have to use us. And sometimes we look at other people's life and we think, oh, but, you know, they weren't perfect in this or they weren't perfect in that. Realize that God only uses imperfect people, amen? And he can use the very worst situation to show who he is. No matter what, you are going to know who God is. God shows up in every situation. And he's the one that's in charge. So, so here's what they do. They were awestruck. They, they, they were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him what? A sacrifice. <laughs> what was Jonah? <laughs> No, they got, they got other stuff. They're like, whoa, this is real. They offered a sacrifice, and they do what? Vow to serve him. So, so realize this. The man of God, the preacher, the pastor, the prophet, the one who's supposed to be doing the right thing is doing the wrong thing. He's thrown into the water. Everybody else who's pagan, who's far from God, they're all the ones following God way better than Jonah right now. You with me? You see how everything flips so quick? Everything changed real fast. They're awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered sacrifice to him. They offered sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him. God, we never know how close people are to God. The very worst sinner is a moment away from salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that knows when that's going to happen. The Holy Spirit aligns things. The Holy Spirit sets things up. And you have to think about it this way. The sailors that were on that boat would not have known God unless they were on that boat. God lined that up, too. He knew who they were going to be. So the sailors find the one true God by throwing Jonah overboard into the water. And, and it's just, it's crazy to me that God can use our very disobedience in order for his glory. That doesn't mean we should be disobedient, but it means that no matter what, God's will will prevail. Amen? Like his sovereignty is greater than your struggle. What he wants is going to happen way more than you trying to run away from it. Whatever God desires and designs to happen will happen, whether or not 
you are along for the plan and the ride. You may be bringing yourself out of it, but God's will will prevail. That, to me, gives me peace because I know that he is in charge. So verse 17 says this, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. You ever wonder how far he went down? Like I imagine it was like he, he almost black out, maybe not awake anymore, sees something like a shadow coming at him all of a sudden. He's in the dark. And some of you may be sitting here, now how is a fish going to swallow a man? Like, okay, this is, I was with you, Pastor Ben, until we got to this, this giant fish story. <laughs> so there, let me present a few possibilities. Because you may be saying, well, is this real? Could this be real? Could it happen? I want to present a few possibilities. First of all, I want you to realize, and I'm going to come back to this again, how did this happen? It says that it was, what is this word? Arranged. It was scheduled. It was on God's calendar on his little, <laughs> he, had, he had worked this all out, right? So it wasn't a surprise that this happened. It was arranged. The, the very reason the fish was there is because it needs to swallow Jonah. God knew this was going to happen. He wasn't like, oh, no, what am I going to do? <laughs> Create a fish. No, he arranged it. He was like, I want you to go this way, fish. The fish went that way. In the middle of the storm. The storm may have brought the fish to Jonah. So Jonah is, is swallowed by this. He's inside it for, for three days and three nights. And so I went around. I was trying to find, like, is there any information about what it could possibly be? And I know there's different fish that it could be. Some think it was like a, a whale shark, or it could be a, a whale or something like that. I don't know what it was. It just says here in Scripture that it was arranged, right? But there's uh, photographic evidence of humans at least being partially swallowed by whales. And, and you can find, and, and there's other stories of people finding living creatures within it, finding other stuff within animals that, that is alive. Uh, and then there was a, a figure, and I don't know whether or not this is a true story. It's not in the Bible, okay? So don't say Pastor Ben said this guy, this really happened to it. There was a guy named James Bartley who uh, lived from 1870 to 1909. And he's a part of this story where he says that he was swallowed by a whale and then found living three days later when it was hunted. And they cut open the belly and found him. Now, I don't know if that's true. But it's an interesting story either way. And, and we don't know. But we do know that sometimes uh, giant squids can be swallowed whole. Uh, other animals can be swallowed and created. Uh, and if God created the fish, then maybe he created a fish specifically for that purpose. Maybe he arranged for that. There was a, a man, there's a Cape Cod man called Captain Michael, and this happened just recently. He was in the mouth of a whale. So he was lobster diving, and he went down, and before he knew it, he was stuck inside this mouth, and he thought he was going to die he gets out, he gets checked into the hospital and everything, and he is just perfectly fine. But he was stuck inside of it. And then a little bit later, there was a video. We actually have video of somebody getting into a whale's mouth. Let's show that video. It was the first day, and uh, you kind of need to tune into the whole scenario. The next moment, it got dark, and I felt some pressure on my hip. And once I felt the pressure, I instantly knew a whale had grabbed me. 
I could not imagine in my head how he was actually holding me or grabbing me, but I could feel the pressure on my hip. There is no time for fear in a situation like that. You, you have to use your instinct. Instantly I held my breath because my thought was now he's going to dive down and release me at some point in time much deeper in the ocean. Um, Brutusville has like easily 15 to 20 tons of weight, so if you get bumped by a whale with a flipper or with a tail, it can hurt you, it can maybe also break your ribs. We were all not aware how the situation will end. And then the next moment I kind of felt that the whale was turning either way and that the pressure was released. And then I was washed out of the mouth and uh, was kind of coming back up onto the surface where surely I wasn't looking too clever. Und natürlich so his first question when he gets out is, did you get that? <laughs> right, you want that on video, right? So he was, he was okay, he got out of that. All right, but that's, that's enough to make you not want to swim around whales, isn't it? Yeah, just stay, stay away from them. So realize this, like if, if God created the heavens and the earth and the universe and everything else, I think he could arrange somehow a little room in a fish for Jonah, right? He could create something, some type of environment, I don't know if it was a whale. I don't know what kind of fish it was. That isn't even the point of the story. That isn't even the whole thing. God just arranges for this. I love how that's just mentioned like briefly. Like, oh yeah, God scheduled it. <laughs> and then he's picked up. And so he's in the, the belly of the whale. For three days he's swallowed up. He's inside this fish for three days and three nights. And I, I just want to point this out. That God is sovereign over nature. Amen? Think about that. God isn't just God of humanity. God is the God of all creation. How many of you like your pets? You like your dog, you like your cat. You have a dog that generally listens to you and is excited to see you, even if no one else is. <laughs> he likes you, right? Uh, you, have you ever been around an animal, even maybe a wild animal, that kind of connects with you and starts to interact with you a little bit? Maybe it's because you're giving them food. Have you ever given ducks bread? You give animals things, and they respond to you. They come around you. Now, God is in control of nature way further than that extent. Like, he can do whatever he wants to do, whether or not you like it and whether or not you believe it. So God arranges for this to happen. And I think that if God wanted to do this, he very well could do this, and that he did do this, that God is sovereign all this, over all this, and he can effortlessly control nature. What I am interested in is why he doesn't just effortlessly control us. You ever think about that? Like God doesn't make you do things. He gives you opportunities. God gives you talents and gifts and skills and he gives you a mission. He gives you a purpose. But he also gives you the option of whether or not to obey and whether or not to follow. So the question for you today is what is God asking you to do? Is there something in your life that he's asked you to do? Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was, it was so long ago that you don't even remember it right now. But you can pray and say, hey God, refresh my memory. What is it that you want me to do? Is there something that I'm running away from? And maybe even in your life, because I've done this before, I have pain points in my life. And my pain points show my problems sometimes. You with me? Like God allows us to suffer pain so that we don't keep repeating the same problems. 
And, and so sometimes God allows pain in my life, and I can pray all I want to try to get the pain to remove, but it's like the storm. It's like the storm, and like I'm in rebellion, and I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And because of that, I'm just going to continue to suffer in that storm until I wake up and realize that I need to change. So what is it in your life that you need to change? What is it in your life that you need to fall into line with God in obedience? And, and you're suffering through this thing, and you may even be like the sailor saying, why God, why is this happening? And God's like, you know full well why. You need to get right with me. You need to change. You need to do what I've asked you to do. Maybe he's asked you to talk to a relative. Maybe he's asked you to share the love of Jesus with a friend. Maybe he's asked you to forgive somebody that's already died, and you're not doing it. And so because of that, you're suffering in bitterness, and you're suffering in the storm. I don't know what your storm is, but I know that a lot of people are in that situation. Maybe you're already out of it. Praise God for that. Amen? Pray for others that are still in it, that God would show them that they would respond to the Holy Spirit, that God would arrange an escape for them. I think we all need that. I think there's probably a good chance that almost everybody in here has something in their life and in their heart that they need to give over to God and they need to receive repentance and ac accept forgiveness and they need to come to terms with it and turn their life over to God completely. Next week, we see the heart of Jonah change just a little bit. Because when you're thrown over the ship, and when you're sinking and you're almost dying and then you're stuck in a smelly fish, you start saying some real interesting prayers. <laughs> How many of you have said some interesting prayers when you're stuck in something? Oh, man, the most fervent atheist will start praying and calling out to God if they're stuck in the right situation. Jonah has some interesting prayers, and we're going to look at those next week. But I want you to think about this week. I want the Holy Spirit to, to guide you in your thoughts, and I want you to meditate on this. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do that I'm not doing yet or I'm not doing fully? I believe God is for you, but I believe that God will use whatever it takes to reach you. Think about this. As a, as a viewpoint of a loving father, God is chasing after Jonah, and he's not letting him go. He's not even letting him just die. He's keeping him. Even though Jonah sometimes doesn't want to be kept that way, he is keeping him in order to allow him another chance. God wants to give you another chance. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that corrects, that sustains, that builds, and that shows us who we are. I ask that you administer to us today. That your Holy Spirit would tell us where we're missing it. Uh, God, I, I, don't, I don't know it, but you do. You know the internal workings of every woman, man, and child in here today. You know our hearts and our minds. You know uh, us way better than we even know ourselves. And, and so, God, I pray that you would reveal what it is that you want us to adapt and change. You would show us where we're running and that you would bring us closer to you because we realize that it's not just us that is suffering, it's others. So if it's that we just need to be like those sailors on the ship and for the very first time say, God, I realize that you're real and I need your forgiveness. Then help us to do that. Guide us by your Holy Spirit to do that, to receive Jesus as our ultimate salvation. Lord, we thank you that we can just call upon your name and we will be saved. Lord, I pray 
over any area in our life that is far from God, any area where we're running away, that we would correct, that we would adjust, and that it wouldn't take that giant storm and a giant fish for us to change. Lord, I pray over these blankets right up here right now because I know that you want to minister to people and maybe that's even a place for us to start. Maybe we're thinking of somebody that we're supposed to talk to that are going through a difficult time. We've just been putting it off saying, I'm too busy or, or I got this going on or, or I don't know how they're going to respond. Lord, maybe they need a prayer blanket to know that you love them. Maybe they need to know that somebody cares. Lord, I pray over these blankets right now that they would minister to whoever it goes to. You know their situation. You know exactly what is going on in their hearts and their minds. And I pray over them right now and thank you for them. This is a tangible act of the love of God and that it represents, it represents the care that you have for us in just a small way. Lord, we ask that they would be ministry to these people that it would help them to be closer to you. Lord, I thank you for everyone in the room right now. I thank you that you love them and that you pursue them. And God, sometimes that love is scary. Sometimes that, that love seems a little bit extreme. But God, I thank you that you did not leave me, that you chased me with storms, that you chased me even with pain, that you chased me with the things that needed to happen so that I would change. God, I pray that you would continue to do that for us so that ultimately we would be in the right place with you, but we would also bring others to the right place to you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Everyone said, amen. Let's stand once more.